And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey everybody, and welcome to the World of Mythbits Magazine Review Edition, Episode 89. I am your host, Stephanie Barty, as always, and I am coming to you back in the boudoir. I am no longer poolside. (laughs) I have come back home, so I am back in the boudoir. Um, I'm sure you'll hear a cat meowing at some point in time. So, yes, this is magazine review, but first I have a little housekeeping to attend to. Um, Actually, I have quite a few. Okay, so the final five contestants of the Open Contract Challenge will be announced next week on next week's episode. We have our final five, or we will have our final five. So that will be announced next week on next week's episode. Um, So, judges, if you're listening, do your thing. Also, um, I would like to... Hang on, I'm going to save that bit of information for the last bit. Um, We now... um, The Jasmine Dark Myth Corporation now owns Zombie Works. Yay! And we are looking into putting together a werewolf anthology called Full Moon and Howling, and that's kind of a working title at the moment. Um, Please don't send any submissions yet. When we get everything set up, then we will put a call out for submissions. But, uh, yep, we own Zombie Works now, so um, look forward to another anthology, which is very exciting. Also, the deadline for this month's magazine is the 7th today. So get your stuff in today and the magazine will go live on the 10th, which is Friday. Now, the reason being, if you haven't been listening to my past podcasts, and if you haven't, shame on you. The reason being is that Dave, David K. Montoya, who does all the coding for the magazine and... Um, releases the magazine and does all of that stuff for the magazine is going on a vacation. He hasn't taken a vacation in Lord knows how many years. So it is a well-earned, well-deserved vacation with his children and his family. So he will be in the land of no Wi-Fi, (laughs) unfortunately. So if there's anything that you need Um, Any questions that you have, you can contact me. He will be checking his email periodically, but he is on vacation. He does not want to work on vacation. Nobody wants to work on vacation. I, on the other hand, will not be on vacation. So I will still be here and you can, you will, you always know you can contact me. And if it's something that I can't answer, if it can't wait a week, I do have ways of getting a hold of Dave. So, um... I will be able to get you an answer. But yeah, so that is why we are releasing the magazine early because he's going on vacation and I 
couldn't code my way out of a wet paper bag. Last week or two weeks ago, I put a call out that we were looking for a circulations manager and a written interviewer. And this week, I would like to congratulate our new circulations manager. He will be in charge of all of our social media content and all our promotions content. Um, you will be, you already know him. You'll be getting to know him a whole lot better. I am going to have him on, um, one of my episodes on here just so that you can get to know him a bit more. I can probe him with some questions. Uh, Mythmaster might get a hold of him. Who knows? You know, he's, he's one of the crew now. He's been one of the crew for a long time in some capacity or another and it is only fitting. He is very good at social media content. He is very good at interacting with people. Um, and as things are picking up with the magazine, and now that we've acquired Zombie Works, and um, with the contest going, my job is getting very busy. So I don't have the time to keep up with posting on our... Like I know the posts on our Facebook page and on our Twitter page and our Instagram and all of that have been sorely lacking. And I apologize for that. But this is why we need a circulations manager. And I would like to congratulate Jeff R. Young. He is our new circulations manager. So if you can just drop him a, hey, congratulations. Well done. Welcome to the family. I mean, he's been part of the family, but, you know... Welcome to the behind the scenes. <laughs> I would really appreciate that because he has really earned this position. He is the best qualified for this position. And um, I was very, very thrilled to see his application come through. Um, out of the applications that we got, he fit the, the position, the bill, the best. So congratulations, Jeff. Um, we will get a hold of you. I will get a hold of you soon and let you know, give you all the, the password, everything that you need to do the job that you now are hired for. Um, just remember, pay is in smiles, gratitudes, and running hugs. So <laughs> anyway... Uh, yeah, Jeff is our new circulations manager, so anything social media related will go to him, and he will take care of it. All right, so I think that is it for housekeeping. Um, final five contestants for the Open Contract Challenge will be announced next week. Dave's going to be on holidays, so get a hold of me if you need anything. And we have acquired Zombie Works and looking into doing a werewolf anthology. And the deadline is today. The magazine is coming out on Friday, which is the 10th. And yeah, that's it. Oh, I also wanted to mention that PCE 2021 is a go. I think I mentioned that before, um, that it was happening. It'll be in February the 27th, I believe. And... Of course, it'll be in Victorville, California, again. Um, 
and I was, I got thinking. I mean, it, it was such a thrill last year to have members from the world of myth there. I mean, it was so cool. I got to meet Jeff. I got to meet Kevin. I got to meet um, Melissa in person. And we got to hang out. And we it was, it was just absolutely fantastic. So I would love to encourage all of our contributors and all of our, our supporters to come out. And let's get a really huge group picture of all of us. Let's hang out. Let's do something. World of Mythy. <laughs> is, that a th- is that a word? Mythy? Yeah, it is now. And let's hang out. Let's, let's make a plan to meet at PCE 2021. And even if we only ever meet once a year at PCE, let's do that. Because we are a family. And... I think it would just be absolutely fantastic to have as many of us as we can. I mean, I understand that it is difficult for some of you to travel. We do have international um, contributors and contributors from the other side of the world, like literally the other side of the world. But for those of you that can get to Victorville, California, I think it would be absolutely fantastic. Um, And I mean, you could even like plan a road trip and accumulate people as you go. You know, I will be driving, so I'm not adverse to picking up somebody in, say, Wisconsin or Indiana or Arizona or any of the other states that I will be driving through. Now, I have a small car, so I can only pick up three extra people, but, you know, you you catch my drift. Um, so yeah, you know, let's do that people. Let's make this happen. Let's show PCE what the world of myth is all about. Let's make a plan. Okay. So magazine review. I'm not jabbering because this always takes a, a little bit. Okay. Jumping right in. We are at issue. I have no idea. What issue this is? What issue is this? Oh, it doesn't matter. Eighty-five. Ah, ha, ha, there you go. Okay, so first, I would like to say congratulations to Doug Holly for his featured article, Asteroid, and we will talk about that story later. I would also like to congratulate Amber M. Simpson for winning Member of the Month. And I do believe her story was, um, oh, I just had it. It was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Where are you, Amber? There you are. (sighs) Marked. That's right, marked. Okay. And she won member of the month. Yay. Okay, so we're diving in. Now, yes, it is a smaller issue, and July's will probably be a little bit smaller issue, but never fear, like I said last month, if you have got an acceptance from me, your work will appear. So, don't worry. 
you might want to shoot me an email and remind me. I'm only human. I've pretty much organized everything as best I can, but again, I am human. I make mistakes. I make lots of mistakes. Okay, so jumping into Drabbles and Flash. Our first Drabble that we have, which I believe it's a Drabble, is Plato's Apprentice by Zamina Escobar. Now, I started reading this and I'm reading it and I'm thinking, wow, this is very um, intellectual. There's a lot of visual wording. There's a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intellectual wording. But it flows really well. And then you get to the end and that last sentence just kind of, it, it did make me snork a little. And, and by snork, I mean laugh. It did make me laugh a little bit because it is, you have this, this very cerebral drabble up until the last line. And then the last line, that's it. You know, all stopped by a snake. So it, it was really, it's very well written. It's very well written. Um, and it does pose some thought-provoking questions like what shape is timelessness if not rock which is death if not straight line which is life if not the undular wave only fathomable upon it see it, it, it's it's very philosophical very uh, very Plato <laughs> if, if you know if you're going to go down that right it's very Plato very um, cerebral and then dull undone by a snake a simple snake. So that is Plato's Apprentice by Zamina Escobar. And then we have, we welcome back after a way too long hiatus, in my opinion, Copper Rose with Way to Go. And this one is, you can, you can see the snarky between um, Roberta and Henry. And you can see Henry doesn't care. He's like, he's not technology. He doesn't, he's not tied to technology. He just wants to go and do his thing, which is fish. Ice fishing, okay, you know, take your phone. But it's, it's a very ironic story because he didn't take any precautions. He didn't care. He was enjoying life. He was doing his thing, enjoying the sun on his face. And his wife, Roberta, who was taking all the precautions, who wanted him to be safe, take your phone in case something happens, yada, 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 what if we, you know, you fall through the ice and we need to find you, you know, and irony, which is pretty much the way the universe works, strikes, and it's her, and that phone didn't save her, that technology did not save her. And Henry still got his bucket of fish. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm very happy to see Copper back. So that is Way to Go by Copper Rose. And then we have Pillow Dreams by Christopher Bice. Now, so far the Drabbles have taken us from cerebral to ironic humor into Breaks My Freaking Heart. 
This drabble shattered me. Absolutely shattered me. I, I will admit, I read this and then I cried. Because anybody who has ever lost somebody that they loved so much can relate to the pain, to the emotion that is in this. It's called Pillow Dreams by Christopher Bice. And it, it, it broke me. It really did. Um, I have my dad's house, house coat. And I do the exact same thing with his house coat. 13 years later, I still, there's still a spot on that house coat that smells just like my dad. And I hug it tight and I smell it and, and I close my eyes and I cry. And that's what this is about, you know, holding that pillow and, and feeling that pain, that loss. So I really, really enjoyed it. Um, well done, Chris. Well done. Pillow Dreams by Christopher Bice. And that takes care of our Drabbles and Flash. Now we're moving into fantasy and we have Amaterasu by Umer Mirza. Now, I was hesitant on how I felt about this one at first. I mean, within the first three paragraphs alone, you've got Japanese, Greek, and um, Norse mythology deities from those three mythologies. So I, I was kind of, um, I went into it reading it with critical eyes because there are so many mythological pantheons mixed into this story. I mean, there's Egyptian, um, there's Norse, there's Greek, there's Japanese, uh, just to name a few. So, like I said, I went into this with critical eyes and I knew it was um, a soft part two to um, his story from two issues ago because I forgot to put this one in last issue, which is my fault. I'm terribly sorry. Um, but then I started reading it and... The deity aspect, the, the different pantheon aspect, the different mythology aspect of each character kind of fell away. They just became names. They didn't, it, it wasn't a mixing of mythologies anymore for me, which anybody who knows me knows I tend to have a little bit of an issue with. It needs to be done right. Anyway, um, and then I was consumed by the story itself. Now, the story itself is about the dying of the sun, which is something that is a very real reality for us in the real world. Um, I mean, there are only a finite number of years left on the sun. What's going to happen when the sun dies? So, I got absorbed into the story and engrossed into the story and forgot about the mixing of the mythologies. So well done on that. And I really enjoyed the story and I love the twist at the end that it, it, it goes from the dying of the sun 
to all of these different deities, gods and goddesses, pulling together and working together to save the sun. And the last paragraph mirroring the first paragraph, but in a totally opposite emotion than what we have at the beginning. You know, at the beginning, she's very angry. She's very upset. Um, and at the end of the story, Amaterasu is, is very happy. She's very pleased because things have changed. The story has changed. So I really enjoyed it. So that is Amaterasu by Umer Mirza. And that starts off our fantasy section. And then we move to Maria Tonu and the right to the guardian angel. Now I was, I will admit, I'm not going to lie, I was hesitant in um, accepting this story because there is a very heavy religious tone to this story. But the way that she's written that religious tone is she is encompassing all faiths she is encompassing all paths and all beliefs no matter what we call deity we have deity we have creator we have that belief that faith so i put that aside and i read it and it's a very beautiful story it's a very touching story on um, guardian angels and where where they are, what they do, um, who they are, what shape, what form, what type of guardian angel. So it was it was very well written. I really enjoyed it, and it gave me an insight into Russian slang and Russian beliefs and things like that. I'm Ukrainian on my biological father's side. So anything that kind of crosses into that piques my interest. So it's a really well-written story. It does, like I said, it does have strong religious connotations to it. It does have a strong religious tone to it, but looking past that, it is a beautiful story. So that is Maria Tanu's The Right to the Guardian Angel. I think everybody has a right to the guardian angel. Just, you know. Everybody needs one. I know I do. Mine work overtime some days. Oh, my computer's being very slow, so you'll have to bear with me. Okay, so the next we have Fur Flying by Walter G. Esselman. And we see the return of... Um, Gideon and Pavataro, the dragon, which I was very excited to see because I thoroughly enjoyed Pumpkin Sue. And this is kind of a continuation of the two main characters, Gideon and Pavataro, who were in that story. And this is a continuation of their journey. And it's, it's, it has almost a child's story feel to it. Because, I mean, you are dealing with dragons. You are dealing with fantasy creatures. Um, and the lead character, Gideon, is a small boy. He's a child. But it is not a child's story, per se. Um, 
And this is all about a werewolf. This is their encounter with a werewolf. And those that know me, I am partial to wolves. I love wolves. I connect with wolves. Wolves are my spirit animal. So reading a story about a werewolf, I was like, yay! <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. It was well written. And I, I'm hoping there are more featuring Gideon and Pavitaro. Because I, I really like them. Um, the dragon, Pavitaro, he is such a smarty pants. He really is. But, uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, that's Fur Flying by Walter G. Esselman. And then next we have Squee! The Rising, Part 10. I know, it's no secret that I am thoroughly in love with a character from this story. And I thoroughly enjoy, am enjoying this particular story. We'll be very sad to see it end. Um... I was very pleased. I was worried because uh, Draven is very sick and they have not found a cure yet. And people that tend to be afflicted tend to change very quickly. And Draven seems to be kind of holding his own. He isn't changing as quickly as um, a lot of the others, which kind of makes me question why. What is up with Draven? Why is he able to kind of almost hold back the virus that's in him from changing him but he is he is sick and he is getting sicker um but i mean he, he he's got such a uh, sarcastic wit and such a smart ass way about looking at his affliction you know like don't get bit um I, I will say my heart was in my throat when the undead had him pinned. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, I need to be warned. I need to be warned if Draven's going out. Got to tell me. So this is, this installment is very much, again, about Draven and what he's doing, where he's going, how things are are progressing within this world and I mean they are getting closer to the end I can feel it I can you can see it as you read it things are starting to pick up pace they finally made it to the temple and things are getting a little tense with the undead they're coming at them faster harder stronger so, you know, the culmination of everything is coming soon. Draven's got to break eventually and become an undead. That's, unless they find a cure, that is an inevitable outcome, an inevitable fate for Draven. So, that is The Rising, Part 10 by Jeff R. Young, our new circulations manager. waiting for my computer. There we go. And that rounds out our fantasy section. Now we move off into horror. And we have newcomer Will Wright and his story, A Murder of Crows. Now, the minute I saw that this was 
about birds, I immediately went to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. I was not wrong. It has a very Alfred Hitchcock feel to the story. The way it's told, the way it's written. You've got to watch those crows, I am telling you. I really, I kind of felt for Barney. I really did. Um, you're not, the, the way it ends, you don't quite expect, I mean, he talks about Karen throughout the story periodically. And you kind of wonder, like, how annoying is Barney, really? I mean, the the, the narrator of this story, it, you begin to wonder, how psychopathic is he? How crazy is he? What is he going to do to poor Barney? Now, Barney is a little nosy, and Barney does tend to push his luck. But, you know, dude's crazy. Dude is crazy. So, I really enjoyed it. It, it For being a horror, it, it was well written. It was. I'm not saying all horror is bad, bad, badly written. Do, do not. No. Okay, let me try this again. Oh. Being a horror story, everybody knows I'm not a huge fan of horror or sci-fi. But this one intrigued me because I wasn't sure what was going on, really. I wasn't sure, okay, is he justified in what he's doing? Is there more? And then you find out, all right, then you find out what happened to Karen. Okay, that is A Murder of Crows by Will Wright. And then we have Snapper by Da, another newcomer. And this talks about almost like an urban legend. Um, it, 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 he does refer to Snapper as a legend. And it's, it's compared to Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. And this is in a backwoods town... Um, it could be, I don't think it does exactly say where, but when I was reading it, I mean, I was picturing some backwoods Alabama town or Georgia, um, you know, you've got the, the heat of the sun and the humidity and the lake and the trees. I mean, I've been to places like this, so it was easy for me when I'm reading it to that's where it took me when he's describing this pond that Snapper lives in. Um, and I'm seeing, I was seeing this giant turtle, but I mean, he is bigger than a manhole cover. So I really feel for the, the two boys. It breaks my heart and it makes you wonder, you know, are they ever going to show back up? Because Dylan and Carter both. And the dog. Barney. They're poor Barney again. Um, Barney was the first to go. And then the two boys. But it's a good. There's a good moral lesson. Like There's a good lesson in this. You know. Leave urban legends alone. Don't go out trying to prove or disprove them. Because. Legends are often based in some form of truth. And then they become legends. So, that is Snapper by Da. Another newcomer. And then we have The Sugar Shack by Don DeBrail. And this is about an old shack 
sugar shack. If you've ever been to maple syrup country or you know anything about a maple syrup setup, they have a shack that they will boil down the maple syrup um, to make it into syrup. They boil down the sap and boil all the water off and then you're left with the syrup. It's called a sugar shack. So I knew immediately I had the shack pictured in my mind. I knew what it looked like. I knew the spaces between the wood. I knew, you know, what an abandoned one would look like. So this story is set in a shack like that. And it's all about poor Billy and what's going on in the shack. And nobody's believing him. Nobody's listening to him. Um, he gets some serious burns. Well, he doesn't get the burns. His dad does. Dale. His dad, that's right. His dad gets, gets injured. And it's, uh, it's pretty scary. I mean, you, you, you read through it and then you, you've got these people in hazmat suits showing up and the army's showing up and they're confiscating everything, which is kind of what they do. You know, area 51. It's, it's just this, this burning, almost, I would say acidic the way it eats through the carpeting and, and burns through wood and burns through like burns holes in the floor. It's not just like heat that's doing that. It's got to be some sort of acidic form. Um, and it's just this blob, Like you can't put an identifiable personality onto this, but it does seem to have one. So that is The Sugar Shack by Don DeBrail. And then we have The Resurrectionist Part 2 by Zach Ellenberger. Now, if you remember The, Resurre the Resurrectionist Part 1 was last week. And this was taking place basically on the River Styx with the ferryman and um this is the culmination of that entire story and what the resurrectionist is doing um it brings you into the real world and how all of this is translated into the real world and what what they're doing basically the resurrector finally gets he starts asking questions and he's basically told, you know what? This is your job. This is what you need to know. The less you know, the better off that you are. You don't know everything. Like he, he doesn't know everything about the souls that he seems to think are innocent, that he is trying to defend, that he is trying to save. And he doesn't understand why certain people need to suffer when they didn't, when he perceives that they haven't done anything wrong. So he finds out a whole bunch of stuff. And it's kind of a lesson, you know, don't always assume you know everything that's going on. There's always more to the story. And this kind of left me thinking, even when I read the words, the end, it had me thinking there's more to the story. So that is The Resurrectionist Part 2 by Zach Ellenberger. And he was a newcomer last month. And that will take care of our horror section. Now we are over into action and suspense. And we have another newcomer, Timothy Law, and his story, Final Breath. 
Now, this one, I wasn't sure if I should put it in action and suspense or over in horror. But it seemed to fit better in action and suspense. So that's where I put it. Now, it is kind of set in the age of when Hitler was around. You almost, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking of um, that big black train from that song. You know, that big black train. She's coming down the track. And you you hear that, that eerie whistle and you know that that is death coming for you. And the train almost symbolize, well, it does symbolize that at the end of the story. It does become the carrier of death, the, the bringer of death. And this is another story where you have an angel, the angels popping up and, but they're not very nice ones. They're there to do a job and they do their job. And the narrator of the story, I mean, he's trying to save his life. He's trying to run. He's trying to get away, but things don't always go as planned. So I really enjoyed it. It was, it was well written. And that is Final Breath by Timothy Law. Now we have Twists and Turns Part 2 by Peter Astle. And again, he has cut them off. He sent it to me in four parts. And he has managed to cut each story off, leaving it at a cliffhanger going, ah! Wait a minute. This sees our um, illustrious characters you know, Danny and Lenny and Trevor, and they are, you know, obviously up to no good, as always. So they're heading into um, Andy Stewart, the karaoke king. <laughs> they're heading into his cottage. That is where we are at with this installment. And it just kind of gives you a little bit of insight to the relationship between the three of them. And, you know, they pretty much get caught. Well, they do. They get caught. They have the police that are there. And um, it. he really leaves you hanging. And you. I, I can't wait until part three. Because I want to know what's going on. You know, what's with the sledgehammer. So that is Twists and Turns. Part two by Peter Astle. And then we have part two. Of the Hotel in Puerto Nuevo by Steve Carr. And this is the culmination of the story and what happens with this virus and how it's taking over everything and everyone. Um, and again, there was the disclaimer on part one that this was written long before COVID 19 came out. So it is not COVID 19 related, but it does have a lot of eerie similarities to what is happening and what is going on and it's very eye-opening reading it that you know you read how people they can help but they won't help because of the fear of getting the virus themselves and getting sick themselves they're afraid to help anybody how no matter what you do you can still end up getting sick so this is part two of The Hotel in Puerto Nuevo by Steve Carr. And that rounds out our action and suspense. 
Now we go over to Science Fiction with Itch by newcomer Sean Russell. And this one just creeped me out. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This one just creeped me out. And every time I have an itchy spot now, it's like, eh, you know. Eh. And anything that buzzes always irritates me. But now, after reading this, you know, you hear that hum or that buzz. All right, I don't want to know. And as I'm, I'm, I'm reviewing it now, I'm, I'm having a fly issue downstairs because when I was away, um, my husband did a major cleanup of the basement and got a bin. So the back door was open for quite a while when they were in and out. So of course the house got full of flies. So now I'm, as I'm reviewing this, I'm like, it, it talks about, you know, it, it, relates to a parasite and that is even freakier it scares the heck out of me especially with what's going on in florida with that that brain destroying amoeba or whatever it is so you want to get creeped out you need to read sean russell's itch it'll do it for you because it just creeped me right out that chick just freaked me out because, I mean, one minute she's earnest and help me, help me. And the next minute she's creepy. Creepy. Like, creepy doll creepy. So then we have Asteroid by Doug Hawley, which got featured article. Um, and he, this story is kind of, it's almost written diary form. Like, he's sitting there and he's he's recounting this story. Um, and it's it's a story from Bill Bain who experienced all of this but he doesn't remember all of it so he's had to have other people kind of fill in bits and pieces for him so they're talking about this worldwide asteroid preparedness drill which again you know you look at what's going on in the world today we had an asteroid barely miss us so and it goes through each what like the way he's telling it it goes through each phase of what Bill Bain has gone through. Preparation and um, assessment and bad politics one, bad politics two. (laughs) Now, this is to be continued in July's issue. So tune in for part two. I really think you're going to enjoy it. Um, I like Duke. Duke, you got to follow Duke. So, that is Asteroid by Doug Hawley. Now we have April 1783 by James Rumpel. Thank you for making it a title I can pronounce. And this takes place in the spring of 1783 in the streets of Philadelphia. And it's about a gentleman by the name of Benjamin. And he can be pretty outlandish he can be kind of strange it makes you wonder though because the way they refer to some of the characters you know they're aliens obviously obviously at least it was obviously to me i could be wrong but you get to the end of the story and you're like did that really happen was it a dream was it a memory that was it real and you wonder if a lot of 
inventions, things that happened, if this isn't how they came to be, you know, like the light bulb, the telephone, you know, putting two lenses into a pair of glasses, making bifocals. Is that how they came to be? Is, was it all, you know, they say, oh, it came to me in a dream. Did it? Did it really? So this is April 1783 by James Rumpel. And that rounds out our science fiction. And then we have another one by Peter Astle, A Good Way to Go, Part 1. And this is all about a gentleman who decides he needs to kill his wife. He needs to get rid of her. And that is fairly easy. That is the easy part. I mean, she is 352 pounds. So killing her was fairly easy. Kind of Mama Cass, you know. Moving her, not so much. So he has to call in the friend, the help. He has to call in for help from a friend. So he does. And what ensues after that is just sheer hilarity. The conversation that they have about moving this dead mountain of a woman and how they move her is absolutely hilarious. And then you think that they're home free. They, they've gotten her into the car. They're pulling out. And... They're on, there's, you know, the neighbors right there. I can't wait for part two. That is Peter Astle's A Good Way to Go, part one. And that rounds out our stories. Over in our poetry section, we have A Moment of Peace by Jeff R. Young, which is very hard to come by when you're an adult, that moment of peace. And he seems to have captured a perfect moment in this poem. I absolutely love this poem um, because for me, a moment of peace would be at the side of a lake or in a marsh or somewhere where you're going to see that silhouette of the birds in flight. You're going to hear that the crickets and the trees and the birds and, and everything. So that is a moment of peace by Jeff R. Young. Then you have DeSoto Caverns by John W. Flukinger. And this is about a conquistador named DeSoto. And it's it's a very cerebral poem, like the Drabble from Zamina. But it kind of, the way it's written, like when it starts describing the caverns, the way it's written, it gives you that feel of being in them the words that he's used. So it's DeSoto Caverns by John W. Flukinger. And then we have I'll Go Back to Where I Left Off by Maria Tonu. And this is another heartbreaking poem. Because it's, to me, I read it as an unrequited love. You know, you're missing this person that they're not with you and you love them, but it's not reciprocated. And you're just kind of going to go back to where you came, where you left off where you were before you met this person. So that is, I'll go back to where I left off by Maria Tanu. And if I'm mispronouncing your name, please let me know. Written word does not come with enunciation. And then there's Temptation Rock by Christopher Bice. 
And I think everybody has their temptation rock. And this one is his, his, the poems. And the pain of losing somebody again and losing a child. So this is another one that, that I almost cried. Not as much as I did with Pillow Dreams, but this one... Christopher has a way of finding that exhaustingly painful emotion and then weaving words around it until he creates something that really plucks that emotion like a finely tuned harp string. So that is Temptation Rock by Christopher Bice. And that, I do believe, rounds out our poetry section. Yes, it does. And then over in the art gallery... We have Predator by Boriana Ananieva, and this one—it's it, you have to—you have to see it. The eye. She has a way of drawing eyes that seem to look right through you, and this is no different. I mean, you, this picture of a woman kind of almost in a cowering pose behind a plant in what looks to be maybe an office, but it's the eyes that tell you that she is not hiding there out of fear. She is hiding there out of anticipation. She is ready to pounce. And that's what it looks like. She's ready to pounce and she's going to eat your face. And then we have Ivy Fairy by Vincent May. And this is a strictly black and white. And the detail work on the armbands and the breastplate and on the tattoos on the leg are just incredible. I absolutely love The Ivy Fairy by Vincent May. And then we have Mimi the Mime by Connie Minutolo. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And this is what is gracing our cover. And she's very pinup style mime. She's very cute. She's very buxom. Um, lots of blacks and, and whites, and, and the, which make the red just very very prominent in the picture so there's a lot of sensuality especially even in the lines itself the softness of the lines um the delicacy of the fingers it's very well drawn i was gonna say well written no not well written drawn it's drawn very very well i really enjoy it it's mimi the mime by connie minutolo and then we have Victorian Flair by Rebecca Illich. And I want to live there. I want I want to live in that house. Please. We'll just paint it all dark purple. And I want to live there. It is it's almost like she plucked the house out of my dreams. I want the house with the big wraparound porch and the creepy cupola at the top and you know what looks like could be an upstairs balcony I mean it's not you could make it one but I love that house absolutely love that house and it's even got a wraparound porch on the second level so yes I will take that please and thank you and that rounds out our art gallery now over in reviews we have the review again of Scoob by Moviegoer Grimm in case you missed it last month. 
And then, which I really want to see that movie because I love Scooby-Doo. Who doesn't love Scooby-Dooby-Doo? Where are you? And then we have um, Review of Peter Bryant's Two Hours to Doom by Michael A. Arnold. And I really suggest you read this review because it compares it to um, a movie that you might not realize is the movie version of Two Hours to Doom. It's kind of surprising. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Because I want you to be as surprised as I was. And then we have Video Game Review by Kevin Magnus. He does, you know, pop out of his emo stage every now and again to play a video game. And he has reviewed Legend of Zelda. And I never really got into playing Zelda much. My sons used to play it. But after reading his review, I kind of want to give it a shot. And and I kind of like those kind of games. So that's Legend of Zelda by Kevin Magnus. And then we have Art Review. And Michael A. Arnold does the Art Review of David by Michelangelo. And there were actually some interesting things about David that I didn't know. Um, I thought I knew everything there was to know about David. And I was wrong. (laughs) There There was a lot more I did not know. So I would suggest you check that out. And then over in our interviews, which we do still need a written interviewer. You don't have to podcast. You don't have to talk to them. It's all written, email. That's it. So apply for the job. So the interview this week with our illustrious myth master was James Bates. And he gives a great interview. Thank you very much, by the way, Jim. And the Mythmaster has a lot of fun with him. The two of them get along swimmingly. Ha ha ha. So I suggest you go and give that a listen. And the link is where it says click here, click here. The word here. Click that. And it'll take you to the podcast. And you can listen to Mythmaster and James Bates and see if James actually does survive. Hope so, because I like his writing. And that is our issue for this month. Thank you, everybody who has contributed. And thank you for listening. You can check us out at www.theworldofmyth.com. There will be some changes next month to the tabs across the top. Keep an eye out for that. Um, Also check out the banner ads on our site And you can find us on Facebook at the World of Myth Magazine and the World of Myth Bits Podcast. That's me. You can find us on Twitter at both the World of Myth Magazine and the World of Myth Bits Podcast. And me, Lupa B. You can find us on Instagram at Open Contract Challenge. And me, Stephanie Barty Author. Oh, I'm also on um, Facebook at Author Stephanie Barty or Stephanie J. Barty depending on what you want to look up. That is me. And you can find us on, or find me on TikTok at Lady Lou Who. Um, And if you've got nothing better to do and you want to hear me just ramble on about some obscure stuff and random facts about me, you can catch me on my other podcast, Lupa's Bits, which comes out every Thursday. So, 
enjoy your week, everybody. Get your stuff in today. And we will release the magazine on Friday. So have a good week. And we will see ya. The world of Mitch Bitch.